Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, thank you uh, just for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it uh, in each of our hearts tonight to just be reminded of of what we may need uh, either today or in the future. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I don't want to spend a long time reviewing uh, what we have dealt with, but I do want to spend a couple of moments reviewing so that we can keep all of this in context, so that we can keep all of this clear and straight in our minds. I think we need uh, to keep all of it clear and straight or else it just kind of becomes discombobulated and and not really too uh, coherent for us. And so I want to remind us that the believers to whom this letter was being written, they were going through some difficult times, they were going through some trying times and, and difficult days, and as a result, the writer was trying to encourage them, he was trying to help them on their way, so he encouraged them to run with patience the race that was set before them. He said, persevere, just continue to run, don't give up, don't quit. In the process, he said, to fix their eyes upon Jesus, which I've said repeatedly throughout this study, that is good advice for any of us. In the midst of hard times, in the midst of difficult days, we must continue to persevere. We must continue to run this race. And it certainly helps when we fix our eyes upon Jesus. And then he said, by way of reminder, that we have yet to resist unto blood. So this has not really cost us any bloodshed to this point, so we need to be reminded what it could cost us, what it has certainly looked like for others in the past. And then as he transitioned into verse number 5, he began to indicate and he began to imply that it was possible that some of the hard times they were going through was a result of their own disobedience and the chastisement of the Lord. And I know if they were anything like me, that could have been a hard pill to swallow, Because no one ever wants to hear that your problems are your fault. I mean, no one wants to hear that. And no one wants to be told that uh, this is on you to an extent. But nonetheless, he had to be honest. He had to be uh, forthright with them. And so uh, he seems to indicate that some of their problems could have been brought on by their own disobedience. And then last week, as we looked at a few more verses, we watched as he talked about how when a child was disciplined or chastened by their parents... We reverenced them or we respected them for it. And it wasn't always an immediate response of reverence. Sometimes we struggled with it, but yet looking back on it now, we appreciate the fact that our parents loved us enough to discipline us. And the same should be true in our spiritual lives, that whenever we are disciplined, whenever we are chastened by the Lord, that should breed within us a sense of reverence or appreciation that God would not allow us to get by with our sins. Again, that can be difficult to reach that point by way of maturity, but truly, it is needed. So that in mind, tonight we are moving ahead. We're going to look at just a few more verses. As we do, I want to state something that I don't know if you've ever picked up on this. Uh, It is something, though, that I try to be very careful in uh, whenever I'm talking about situations, okay? I try not to assume that everyone is guilty of everything. All right. I know that there are universal things that everyone struggles with, like sin in general. Okay, None of us are above that. But I don't want to assume that just because I may struggle with something, you struggle with the same thing, because that's just not fair, right? 
You may struggle with something, and you can't just assume that I struggle with it because you do, okay? And so I, I try to be careful, and I try to be uh, cautious in how I approach subjects whenever I do it specifically, because you may not be guilty of certain things that maybe other people are guilty of, and I do not want to assume the worst of your children, because it never goes good whenever you assume the worst of someone's child, right? That protective motherly instinct comes out and they say things like, how dare you say that about my baby, all right? So tonight I want you to know I'm not accusing anyone of what I'm about to say. This may not have ever, ever happened to you. It certainly may not have ever happened to your child or your children. But if you can identify with it, as I've said in the past, just kind of nod and say, yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about, all right? So here we go. I remember as a child, I did things every once in a while that brought about a negative form of attention from my parents. Did you ever do anything that the attention you received from your parents, you might say, yeah, that wasn't real positive. In fact, that was negative. Here's how I would put it. Whenever I was a child, I got in trouble. So, okay, so a couple of nods, a couple of amens. A few of you are like, no, I can't relate. I don't, I don't know what it was like. Some of us know what it's like to have gotten in trouble as a child. Some of us, as wonderful as our children are, as, as sweet and as precious as as they are, we, many of us would have to be honest and say something like this. There have been times that our children have done certain things that brought about some negative attention in their lives. That at the end of the moment, at the end of the whole uh, scene being played out, so to speak, they might give testimony to this, uh, to this effect. You know, that wasn't really a positive moment. That was kind of a negative moment. Okay. So if you can identify with that, maybe you've at least read about it or watched something on TV about that kind of a scenario. Let me ask you if this ever happened. Again, just nod your head if this has ever happened. But, but once you got in trouble, did you ever find yourself moping or maybe pouting just a little bit? I, to the extent I was allowed to be, I was a moper, and I was a powder, because I'd just gotten in trouble, because no child likes to get in trouble, correct? Okay, so if, if you've never seen a moper, been a moper, seen a powder, been a powder, here's what you know, that so many times it can just kind of affect everything about the person, Right? All of a sudden, they're just not hungry anymore. Huh. I'm not hungry. Why? I don't know. No, we know exactly why. Because you're pouting, you big baby, right? Do you want to go outside and play? No. No, I don't want to go outside and play. Why? Because you're pouting. You're moping. Do you want to do this? Nope. Are you going to do this? Nope. And have you ever noticed... It many times not just affects the, the 
personality of the person, but it affects their just their body language as well. They just kind of slump down. And it's just kind of a dejected look, and it's just pretty pathetic, isn't it? So in a situation like that, for me, I heard statements like this from my parents on somewhat of a frequent basis. You better get happy real quick. Now, see, I didn't realize how good of advice that was until we had our own mopers and powders in our house. And we began repeating that advice to our kids. You better get happy real quick. Do you understand? I don't care if you're happy or not. You better put a smile on your face. You're going to act happy whether you're happy or not. And, and you're just going to, to snap out of it, okay? Get over it or there will be more negative attention brought your way. See, growing up for me, and then again passing this on to my children, here is what I have discovered and here is what I have realized, that when you are in trouble, here's what you need to do. You better get your attitude right and you better change your actions real quick or it's going to get even worse than it is right now. All right. So for a few of you who know what I'm talking about, you know that I'm telling you the truth. Now I say all that because of where the message is headed tonight. I hope it would be obvious that there's a reason for it. So notice tonight in verse number 11 what the writer says. He says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. We understand what chastening is. We understand that that's the chastisement of the Lord. It would be the punishment of the Lord. It would be the discipline of the Lord. So here's what he says from an earthly standpoint, and this would be true of the spiritual standpoint as well. He said, No chastening for the present or in the moment seemeth to be joyous, and anyone who has ever been chastened would have to say amen. Correct? No one ever enjoys getting in trouble. No one ever enjoys being punished. No one ever enjoys being the recipient of discipline. I don't care if it was from a parent. I don't care if it was from a teacher, from a coach, from a principal, from an employer. It doesn't matter who it is. And the same again would be true in our spiritual lives. You and I, because of our sin nature, because of our rebellious spirit, we do not like getting in trouble. It never immediately produces within us joy and gladness and happiness and excitement or a sense of thrill. No, the writer was exactly right whenever he said, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. The truth of the matter is this. Because we don't like being disciplined and we don't like being corrected and we don't like being challenged and we don't like being chastened, many times within us it produces all the wrong emotions and all the wrong feelings. True? It is certainly true. Especially, maybe not, I don't know if I should use the word especially, but certainly many times... In our spiritual lives, we don't even like the Lord telling us what to do. We're doing what we wanted to do because we thought that was fun or we thought that was a better idea, right? 
Okay, so we're, we're living in sin, we're living in disobedience for a reason. It's, it's because we wanted to, it's because of a choice we've made. But as he writes, he said this, it does not seem joyous, but grievous. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth or it produceth something. Discipline produces this, the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What does it mean to be exercised thereby? It means this, to be trained or to be uh, uh, brought up in, a, in, a, in a, a particular manner or a particular fashion. So he said, here is what discipline does, though it does not immediately produce joy, but rather it is grievous to the person. Here is what it will produce, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So what is the peaceable fruit of righteousness, Okay. It is a fruit or a product of peace because you now know that you are righteous or made right with God. Understand the flow of this. This is really not that complicated, and yet it is wonderfully profound at the same time. When you and I sin and live in disobedience to the Word of God, what's going to happen? The chastisement of the Lord is going to begin. If we are His child, chastisement will take place. The only time that chastisement does not take place is when we are not His children and He is not our Father and we're referred to, or the person then is referred to in verse number 8, as a bastard, okay? So the only time that chastisement does not take place is when the person is not a child of God. So whenever you and I or anyone else begins to live in sin because of choices we have made, the chastisement of God is going to begin taking place. And whenever the chastisement of God begins to take place, it is never, ever, 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 ever an enjoyable process. It is always a miserable process that we must endure, and the longer we fight it, the worse it's going to become. We'll touch on that in just a couple of moments, all right? Yet here is the thing, for every one of us who has ever been chastened by the Lord, for any of us who have ever been disciplined and we knew it was from God because of our own sin, here is what happens when we finally surrender our will to His will. The peaceable fruit of righteousness is then made manifest in our lives. If you have ever been at odds with God because of your own disobedience, you know that when you're made right, Peace comes into your life. That's just a fact. Because you're no longer kicking, you're no longer fighting, you're no longer arguing with God, the Father, who is in ultimate control and authority of our lives. So the writer is making perfect sense. He said the chastening is not joyous in the present, but is grievous. However, Afterward, when it's all said and done, it does yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So remember, he's writing to people who he has already implied and suggested that some of their issues were the result of their own disobedience. So now they're, they're kind of going through the punishment process. And here is kind of the picture that you have painted in verses 12 and 13. You have some believers who are just kind of moping through their Christian life. Shoulders down, 
somewhat dejected. Are you enjoying the Christian life? No. Are you happy right now? No. Are you enjoying serving the Lord? No. Do you want to do this? No. The Christian life isn't meaning a whole lot to them right now. Can you identify with that at all? You ever been there where you know the Christian life just isn't what it once was? For what reason? Well, because of my own sin, because of my own disobedience. And, and, and God won't change his mind. Right. Because that's usually not what the authority does. Pouting and, and moping never brought me any positive results. My parents never said, well, shucks, I think he's just going to keep pouting forever if we don't change our minds. My, my parents never did that. Okay, so you've got some believers, it seems, in verses 12 and 13, of course, tying in all these thoughts together. It, it seems like they're just kind of moping around and they're just kind of not enjoying the Christian life and they're a little upset and they're a little frustrated. Well, why would we say this? Well, the writer goes on to say in verse number 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. He says to lift them up. Well, what does it mean to lift up? Well, there are differing thoughts on this, but the, the literal meaning of the word lift up means this, to straighten up. Some suggest and some think that the word means to be strengthened as well. And again, differing thoughts on this, this subject. But again, the word lift up just means this, to straighten up. To straighten up. So here is what the writer is saying, okay, as it relates to their, their hands, which just kind of hang down, you know, just, just kind of gone limp, and, and they're not really feeling too excited about the Christian life, and the feeble knees, just kind of a, a limp approach to the whole situation. He says, lift up your hands and the feeble knees. Straighten up. You got this? It went quiet on us, didn't it? Because somebody didn't th turn the thermostats on to on. All right, don't let the quietness mess you up. Here's what the writer says. Straighten it up. What does that kind of sound like? Sounds like he's kind of saying something like this. You better get your attitude right. You want to walk around all sad and dejected in the Christian life, and you're just not enjoying it, and you're not happy. Okay, straighten it up. You better get your attitude right. Now, can you imagine this being written to a bunch of adults? Can you imagine that that probably wasn't what they wanted to hear? Get your attitude right. Straighten it up right now. Stand up. Put your shoulders back. Act like you know what's going on. I mean, come on. Get your attitude right. So then he goes on to say in verse number 13, and make straight paths for your feet. Well, what is a straight path? Well, it's this. It's a path that's straight. <laughs> See, back in their day, like would be true in our day in pastures and, and things of that nature, where the wheels would go and where people would walk, uh, you know, the wheels from the carts and things of that nature, here's what it would do is it would create paths, it would create ruts, and, and, and you know, those were generally in somewhat in, in as straight of a line as possible, and that would generally make the traveling easier, would it not? It would. 
Okay, so whenever he says, make straight paths for your feet, what is he suggesting? Well, it seems to be that he is suggesting this, that they are the ones who got off of the straight path. Like it was their own fault. That too would be true, would it not? Of you and I in our spiritual lives. Now, Now think about this. Whenever we're going along on this straight path, it doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that there aren't some obstacles in, in place from time to time. But let's think about it, that whenever you and I get off of the straight path, the journey is going to become much more difficult, is it not? So whenever a person is on a straight path and they decide for whatever reasons, I'm going to go another direction, I'm going to choose to do something else with my life, then here's what they're going to do. They're going to make their lives difficult. They're going to make their lives miserable. And so he says in verse number 13, here's what you do and make straight your feet so that, or make straight paths for your feet. And so here's what he is saying is this. Not only do you need to change your attitude, you need to change your actions as well. Get back on the right path. Get back where you're supposed to be going. Get back in the direction you're supposed to be headed. Because here's what will happen whenever you get back on the right path. Your life will be so much easier. And then he goes on to say this. Again, very helpful. He said, Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. So he says, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. What does it mean for something to be lame? It means this, for it to be limp, for it to be weak, it's, it's not strong like you would want it to be. So then what does it mean for something to be turned out of the way? It means this, to be dislocated. Now, I'm not a physician. I think most of you know this, but I think we're aware of this, that more times than not, a dislocation is worse than just a general sprain or, or a weak joint. Would we agree? Okay. And, and so here is what the writer seems to be saying. He is saying this, lest that which is lame or limp or, or not feel as good or, or not be as strong, lest that be turned or dislocated out of the direction it's supposed to be. What's the point? The point is this. You get your actions right, or it's only going to get worse. You think this is painful now? It's only going to get more painful if you keep it up. You think this hurts now? It's only going to hurt that much worse. If you think the moping and the pouting is going to change the mind of God and He's going to come around to your way of thinking, whatever the issue was for them, He said, you better get this straight right now. You better stand up straight. You better lift up those hands. You better lift up those feeble feeble feet. And here's what you knew or the, do or the feeble knees. And He said, and you better change your actions because if you don't change your actions... It is only going to get worse for you. So he said in verse number 13, but let it rather be healed. Whatever the sin is, whatever the issue is, whatever the struggle is, wherever you got off track, he said, you need to let that be healed. You need to let that be restored. You better change your attitude. You better change your actions. And you better get back to where you're supposed to be or it's only going to get worse. 
Tonight, the application is simple. Tonight, the application is something that most of us already know, but it does not hurt to be reminded of, and that is this, every one of us. I don't know the specifics. I don't know what your struggle may be. I only know what my struggles can be. But every one of us need to be reminded of this truth, that we can get off track in our spiritual lives. Every one of us can because every one of us have. And here's what happens. We got off track because of our own sinful nature, because of our own rebellious spirit. And and many times, here's what we struggle with. We struggle with the chastisement that the Lord brings our way. Somebody says, well, aren't you kind of rehashing this? Yes, I'm kind of rehashing it because I want us to see this, okay? We get off track. We get off base. We're not on the path that we're supposed to be on anymore. And so the Lord says, because you're my child, because you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm not going to let you get by with that. So here's a little bit of punishment. It's at that point that we ought to say, thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to not let me get by with this. But so many times, what do we do? Well, we just get a little bit more obstinate in our opinions and our attitudes in our spirit and we just continue on because we know better so we think so it continues and the discipline continues and it continues and the discipline continues many times because we're very slow and we're very uh, just hard-headed in the whole approach let's listen now okay it's fine Tams it's very difficult for us sometimes to see the sin and the way that it is affecting us is it not It's difficult for us, and so here's what happens. Rather than getting right the way that we need to, the way that we ought, we mope. Just watch people sometimes when they come to church. You can see the mopiness written all over them. Anyways. How are you doing? Fine. What's going on? Nothing. You happy? Yeah. Can't you tell? We mope. Why? Because things aren't going our way. So what do we need to hear? Get your attitude right. Have you ever needed to hear that, or is that just in your childhood days? We need to hear it. Man, just last week, I I mean, I don't want to be too transparent because then you'll see the the carnality of your pastor, but I mean, just last week, I just had me a good pity party. I was upset about something. I was just irritated about some things, and, and, and the Lord was really not too sensitive toward my, toward my emotions. And it was like the Lord said, get over yourself. But I don't want to get over myself. I like to pout because I didn't get my way. I, I, I know I'm a grown-up, but I still like to pout sometimes. Do you like to pout sometimes when the Lord says no or the Lord says fix it and the Lord says get over it? Yeah, okay. We, we like to pout sometimes. And we need to be told, get your attitude right. Get your attitude right. And we also need to be told this. You better change your actions. You better get back on the right path. You know that where you're at is not where you're supposed to be. You better get your act together and you better change what it is you are doing or this will be true of you 
it is only going to get worse. Listen, I've been told many times by the Lord, you better change your actions. I don't want to change my actions, but it's like the Holy Spirit says, if you don't, you'll regret it. You will regret it. And man, that's tough, isn't it? Because if we wanted to do right, we would have already been doing it. But this is what we want to do. But the Holy Spirit says, listen, if you don't get it right, it's just going to get worse for you. It's not going to get any better. So you might as well just make things right, even though it might be painful, even though it may be you know, not at all what you want to do. And yet, isn't it amazing how true the Scripture is that when we finally get our attitude right and we finally change our actions, that it actually yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives? Have you ever fought against the will of God for your life and you fought and you fought and you fought and you fought and you're miserable and you're frustrated and you're not enjoying life and you finally just say, fine, I'm done fighting, I'm done resisting. And, And things begin to heal and, wow, I'm made right with God. Doesn't it yield and, and produce and bring forth like this fruit of right, of fruit of peace and, and, and righteousness, or this fruit of peace, knowing that you've been made right with God? Well, it does for me anyways. And, and to know that back in verse number 10, again, connected with all this, that I'm now a partaker once again of his holiness, that, that as a result of getting right with the Lord, I'm now right where I'm supposed to be in my walk with God. It really is a wonderful system of, of, of transactions that take place in our lives. We disobey, we get upset when the Lord chastens us, but if we finally surrender, we're made right with God and we get to enjoy peace and, and, and tranquility and calm because of that, and we no longer have to fight the Holy Spirit in our rebellion. But let me ask us this, and, and again, very simple question. Whether it be you as a child or your children themselves or, or us in our spiritual lives, who is the only person who can change an individual's attitude and actions? It's ourselves. Right? See, if I've got a stinky attitude and if my actions are not at all what they're supposed to be, you can do whatever you want to try to change my attitude and to try to change my actions. But guess what? You can't do it. The only person that can change my attitude in the midst of chastisement and the only person who can change my actions in the midst of my chastisement is me. So who is the only person that can change your attitude and your actions in the midst of your chastisement? Well, it's not the preacher. It's not your spouse. It's not your parents. It's not your kids. It's not your friends. The only person who can change your attitude and your actions in the midst of your chastisement, not if it happens, but when it happens, the only person who can change that is you. So really this whole process of being made right with God is dependent upon us as the individual. It is all a personal matter. Will I get my attitude right? Will I change my actions? and get made right with God before it gets any worse. The only person who can change it is us, ourselves, personally. 
So then it begs a question. Final question and we're done. Is there any area in your life right now where the Holy Spirit is saying, this needs to change? I'm not saying that there is. I'm just asking, is there any area in your life right now where the Holy Spirit would say, this needs to change? Because, see, there could be someone in here tonight, and here's what's happened. You've gotten off track in your walk with God, and you know that you're off track in your walk with God, and, and, and you're resisting it, and you're fighting it, and you're fussing with the Lord about it in your heart, and, and the Holy Spirit is saying, do this, but you're saying, I don't want to, and, and it's messing with your spiritual life. It, it's not producing the joy and the gladness that you thought it would, but now this chastisement, it is grievous to you. You're not enjoying anything now about the spiritual life. Sure, you're still going through the motions, but you're not in enjoying any of it. So as a result of that, is it possible that someone in here needs to hear, uh, you need to get your attitude right and you need to get your actions right. You need to get back on track. Again, I'm not saying that you need to, but I'm saying someone in here might need to hear this. You need to get your attitude and your actions right, because if you don't, here's what will happen. It'll only get worse for you. It really is that simple. It'll not get better your rebellion, your attitude, your, your, your moping and your pouting, it's not going to make the situation better. It's only going to make the matters worse. So do you need to get your attitude right and your actions right? And if you need to, let me just say this, you'll actually be glad in the long run that you did. You'll be glad that you made things right with the Lord. Because it really does yield a peaceable fruit because of getting made right with God and becoming a partaker of his holiness. I'm just saying it, it might be needed for someone tonight. And, and even if not tonight, you know what I'm sure of? I'm sure of this. I will need this in the future. If I just needed it a week ago, I'm pretty confident I'm going to need it again in the future. And maybe not you, but maybe someone else in here. You may not need it tonight, but you may need this message in the future. Get your attitude right. Get your actions right. Stop the moping. Stop the pouting. Just do right or it's going to get worse. And if you will submit, you'll be so glad in the future that you did. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you tonight, I pray that you'd help us to consider these words that were given to believers almost 2,000 years ago, and I pray that you'd help us to see how they can still be a help to, you, uh, to us tonight, to, to each of us. Lord, if there's someone in here this evening who is resisting your chastening, if they are resisting the discipline that you're trying to uh, perform in their lives, I pray that tonight they would see that it's not going to get any better, that it's only going to get worse. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who, if it's not needed tonight, we would remember in the future that the faster we yield to you, the faster we surrender our will to yours, the faster we can have peace, the faster that we can have joy restored in our lives, and God, that it can be a help to us. So I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.